Well, we're going to continue on in our, our sermon series, Fundamentals of the Faith. I'm actually going to wrap it up today. We've been in this series for the last 10 weeks or so. Um, we've looked at several different doctrines, some of the foundational doctrines of what we believe, uh, what we believe in the Christian faith, what we believe the Bible says about certain things. And then we've talked the last few weeks about uh, some specific... Um, so we've, we've talked about several disciplines, and, and now we're going to continue on with that, just talking about the discipline of prayer and fasting. Um, and really, they're two separate disciplines, even though they're very much related. And, and the way I want to approach it today, I'm going I'm to spend the first part talking about prayer and kind of showing uh, just some, some high-level things from what the Bible says about prayer. And then we're going to spend the last part of uh, this morning... Uh, I'm going to bring Mike Ellis up to, to help me kind of uh, have a conversation about the discipline of fasting. Um, obviously, uh, many of you have probably, probably prayed at some point this week or someone has prayed for you, um, but I, I would guess that probably most of you have, have not fasted this week, uh, and maybe some of you have, but, but it is a, a much less common talked about thing, but it is in Scripture, and I, I want us to, to really explore that today, and I, I think it is uh, a fundamental of our faith and very important like that. But as we think about prayer first, you know, prayer is, is something that is commonly talked about. We've already prayed several times in the service this morning. Um, but in our culture and, and the way we, we so often talk about it, I think sometimes we have some misconceptions. I think some people um, think that prayer is it's just, maybe they think it's just kind of talking to yourself and hoping that somebody's going to Maybe it's just either you know, they find that it's a lot easier to speak to God and just talk than, than it is to listen to him. Um, sometimes prayer is viewed as just something you, it's kind of a last resort. When, when things are going bad, then you then pray about it. Pray about it and see, see what happens. Or they view it kind of like a gumball in the sky, gumball machine in the sky where you put your prayer in and, and hope something good comes out. Hope it's a yes answer to your prayer and not a no answer. Um, and that that is... Uh, Oftentimes, the, the, the kind of idea that prayer um, is talked about and just the way it's talked about in our culture. And then when you think about fasting, which we'll talk more in detail later, but both of these disciplines are, are, are challenging in our culture today, especially because we live in such an ADD world, an attention deficit disorder world, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's just so much noise, so much, so much stuff going on, so many distractions, so many things battling for our attention. And, and when, that, when those things are are competing for uh, an ear, in a sense. To, to get in our ear, it, it's hard to, to do things that require focus, that require discipline. And, and really this morning, I want us to explore the disciplines of prayer and fasting and really challenge ourselves uh, to, to take each of them more seriously. Maybe you, you don't know much about either. Um, I, I'd love this to be a, an introductory step into learning more about it, taking it more seriously, or, or you've been in church and heard a hundred sermons on prayer. Um, I, I hope that today you're challenged more, not, not to get beat over the head that you should be praying more and you should feel guilty that you're not praying enough. I don't want that to be, be the thing you come away with. I want you to, to really come away with a, a greater understanding of these disciplines, but also just a greater love for Jesus where your love is your motivation factor, not, not the guilt that you, you would feel or that would be, you'd feel pressed on you. Um, so as we t- as talk about prayer, I want to start with addressing the tension that we feel in the Bible about the topic of prayer. And I've talked about this um, over the years on a couple of other sermons, uh, but I think it's good to review and kind of 
try to wrap our minds around a little bit, at least understanding this tension in the Bible where on one hand, God is completely sovereign. We worship a God that is in control of everything. He is king. He got a, I've got several verses that, that highlight this. Let's just look quickly at it. Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We see in Matthew 6.26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than they? So God, he's not just in control of the big things, the big things, and he's in charge of the, the details, feeding the birds, making sure they have enough. He's, he's all-powerful. And then in Romans 9, which really the whole chapter is about this idea of God's sovereignty, um, but this verse specifically speaks to this. It says, for he says to Moses, and this is God, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And it, sound, it sounds a little harsh, um, and we don't have time to really unpack that verse in its entirety. But I wanted to just show you some, some examples of where we see in Scripture, and you can find a hundred, a thousand more, that really speak to this idea of God, basically God being God. What he says goes, and what he decides happens. And his, his, he is just in control. But then on the other side, the, the tension occurs when you see the other side, and you see that in Scripture you also see people people of God asking God for things, asking him to help them, asking him to change situations and things, and he answers them. He, and he does what they ask. And, and so we have this tension between the two. Let, let's look at a couple of examples uh, of this taking place. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we see this conditional statement, God speaking, if my people do this, then I will do this. So God is all-powerful, yet it seems like we have some sort of control. Because if, if we don't do this, then he's not going to do it. Um, let's look at another. 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that kind of happening again in this verse. And then we see... Um, and, and this next verse, Philippians 4, 6, just this example of, you see the last part there, let your requests be made known to God. He, we're, we're commanded to request things of God, to ask him for things. So, so how does this tension take place? Where on one hand, God is completely in control and, and, and rules over all things, yet, we, yet our prayers make a difference, it looks like. Well, I, I think... If you're hoping for me to tidy that up and tie a nice little pretty bow on it, I can't do that for you this morning. But I, I think we can wrap our minds enough around it uh, to understand that prayer accomplishes things, that prayer, prayer changes things. You know, if you were able to completely understand this, what sometimes could seem like a contradiction, um, then you would be God, and then you wouldn't need God, right? And it's similar to the idea Pastor Michael talked a month or so ago about the Trinity. And when we talked about the Trinity as one of the core doctrines and this idea of God being three persons and one person and then three pers- one person and three persons. And this idea that they're the one and the same. And our, our finite brains cannot completely wrap our minds around that. But we can trust in, this, in regards to prayer and what we see in Scripture that God is, uh, he, he uses prayer to accomplish things. And another way that this has been worded as kind of a definition for prayer that I like to, to use is this, and you see there in your sermon notes, God's appointed means to achieving his appointed purpose. Prayer is God's appointed means to achieving his appointed purpose. So God has chosen 
to use the prayers of his people to achieve his purposes, the things that he has appointed to take place. So we can take comfort in that. We can, uh, you know, God's knowledge isn't a deterrent for us to pray. We don't just throw up our hands and say, well, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do, so I can just, you know, I don't have to pray. I don't have to ask him for things. What difference does it make? We, we shouldn't have that attitude. We should be encouraged and motivated to pray more because we see that God does use prayers to accomplish things. So um, a couple reasons of why we should pray. I think most of us for a while, or even if you haven't, I think most people would think that, you know, being a Christian, you, you want to pray, right? Um, let, let's explore just a couple reasons quickly about that, why, that, why that's the case. Why, why should we pray? The first is this. I think prayer is an essential part. It's essential to our relationship with God. And I want to focus on the idea of communication uh, in regards to prayer. Pr- that's what prayer in a simple form is. It's communication with God. Now, have any of you ever had a relationship with somebody where you've never communicated with them? And don't think about like your 14th second cousin that you've never had. And you're like, well, I do. I am a cousin. I have a cousin relationship with them, but I've never talked to them. That, that breaks down this example. So don't think that. Most, pretty much every relationship that we have, we have uh, communication with that, that person, the other party. And the same is with our relationship with God. It's, it's vital to it. And when you think about communication, even as we talked about our, our mission team in the Philippines, um, one of the things that they have to, a lot of people have to overcome is, is the language barriers when you go overseas. Now, thankfully, in the Philippines, English is, is very common, and most of the, t- the people and the, the, the people we're partnering with and that our team is partnering with speak English, so it's not, not as much of a, a barrier um, for, our, for our people over there now. But for those of you who have traveled to another country and, and English is not spoken, um, it, it's this feeling of kind of lostness. Uh, it's a, kind of an awkward feeling. You have no idea what's going on. And so communication is, is vital. Um, and, we, and when we think about prayer, I think sometimes we, we, we feel like that same sort of disconnect or awkwardness with God when we, when we pray. We, we feel like God's not speaking our language or we're not speaking his language. Uh, but I want to encourage you with these verses in Hebrews as we think about how important prayer is to our relationship with God. And in, cha- in Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in this, we, we see that, that the high priest being Jesus, as, as we pray to God the Father through his son Jesus, we, we have someone there that, that can sympathize with us. He, he has lived life here on earth and we can approach God and we can speak in a sense the language of God. We can relate to him in, in a way. And I want you to find comfort in that. And when you think about times, we'll talk later about some of the obstacles and hindrances to prayer and unpack some of that time when, when you think you're speaking a different language or, or just not, your prayer life just seems to be stagnant. But we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us and we can pray with confidence. Um, the second reason I think we um, need to pray, and again, this is just one of many, is that prayer helps align our will to God's will. Now, Jesus gives us, you know, if we want to follow a great example of praying, Jesus is a great example to follow, right? So let's look at a couple of his examples that he gives us. Um, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he says, saying, Father, 
If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then in Matthew 6.10, Jesus says in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on, on earth as it is in heaven. So we see when we pray, we're not to pray um, to kind of bully God into doing what we want him to do. I, I think sometimes we approach prayer that way a little bit. We want God to do what we want, um, but prayer really is all about our will aligning with God's will. And we see from Jesus' example that, that that's how we're to pray. It doesn't mean that uh, we're always going to like it. It's always going to make us happy. Uh, but we, it does mean we, we kind of go through this process in prayer of, of really learning to accept that God is in control, that, that he's in control, that he knows what's best, and that his answer to our prayers is that's ultimately what we need because he, he is uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, and in prayer we go through that. And like I said, it's, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? I mean, it's, it, it's not easy. And, and prayer is hard. And, and I, I think we can be honest about that. While it's a simple uh, act, it, it isn't easy. And those of you who have uh, tried to pray and, and tried to be disciplined in this area, you've probably uh, realized how hard prayer is uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. But I, I think we can, uh, you know, I, I find some comfort in, in looking at some of the New Testament and seeing that when it talks about prayer and it commands us to pray, um, it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that prayer is hard work. We look at Romans fifteen thirty, and and it says this: I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to get to God on my behalf. So this idea of striving forward, taking steps forward, and and pressing on in your prayer life—that um, that's what we're called to do. And this is Paul uh, speaking to the church in Rome and. Not shying away from the fact that, that you've got to press on in your prayers, even when it's not easy. And in Colossians 4.12, we see this example of Epaphras. On your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So this idea of struggling. Um, prayer, it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's a hard discipline. And it, it is a toiling task at some point. I know, I know there's a lot of examples in my past where I've, uh, tried to sit down to pray for a few minutes, and it seems literally like the whole world, everything just falls apart. Kid screams, electricity goes off, or get a you know weird itch in the back of my ear, and I'm like, what? just so many distractions, things things that are, are keeping us and competing for our attention. But I think we you know even with the struggle, with with the hard work that prayer is, uh, I think we we need to realize that Christ is important enough to to examine maybe a few of these obstacles and to. Uh, look at how we overcome them. So let's look at a couple of obstacles to praying together. Uh, the first one is this, uh, just a general lack of spiritual awareness, a, a lack of spiritual awareness. And I don't think this can be overstated. Um, we could spend a few sermons on just this point. We look at Ephesians 6.12. Um, let's read this together. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we see from this verse that we're in a spiritual battle. I want to ask you a question as you look at that verse up on the screens. Do you, do you believe that verse? Not just in a, oh yeah, it's in the Bible, I may have heard it before, it's true. But can you look at that verse and honestly say that, yeah, I, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I, I, I'm against the rulers, against the authorities, and I wrestle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil 
into heavenly places and, and kind of personalize that and, and believe it not just with your head but with your heart. Because I, I think, you know, as I, as I do that, I, I think a lot of times I don't, I don't live like I believe that and that's really what matters. I don't pray like I believe that because I think if, if we all really truly believed this verse and realized that there is a spiritual realm and there are spiritual forces all around us, I think it would drastically affect the way we pray. We pray not only individually, but the way that we pray as a church. You know, even thinking, you know, just, just the things we pray for, we, we realize that there's demonic forces out there battling for the, the minds of our children and they're, they're, they're our, our friends, our other family members. Um, they, we're in a battle. Um, I, know, I know several of you have had, had kids that have gone overseas and been in, in real-life battle in Iraq or Afghanistan. And I bet you prayed a lot differently when you realized your kids were, were fighting day in and day out. Um, I, I think we, we need to capture that sort of awareness, that spiritual awareness. And so how do we do that? How, how do we do that? Well, it's, it's kind of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. You, you pray more, you, you become more spiritually aware, you you, you want to become more spiritually aware, and then you'll, that'll drive you to pray more. So it's kind of this cycle. Um, but some, several of the things, Pastor Michael talked about Bible study last week, the discipline of Bible study. I think that will help you uh, become more spiritually aware. And we're going to talk in a moment about fasting. I think that's another key area of becoming more spiritually aware. I think another obstacle that keeps us from praying is this. It's just our discomfort with silence. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. And as we've said, we, we live in a, a very noisy world. There's so many things battling for our attention. Um, we're kind of conditioned now to be okay with noise. We just expect it when it's quiet. It, it's just kind of awkward. So that, that, I think that's an obstacle in some ways. You know, we, it forces us to be honest with ourselves and vulnerable before God. If we, and it's just a challenge to be quiet. Um, but on the other side, I think we're also uncomfortable with silence from God. So it's kind of silence, what, what seems like silence on his part. So we pray for something, and we, we ask God for it diligently, yet it seems like nothing is happening. Yet it seems like our, our prayers are just hitting the ceiling, bouncing back. Um, I think some of you have probably been through that. I, I know I have. And those times are difficult. And, and I, I want us to just be assured that we can rest in the truth that God is still there, even in those dark and dry times where our prayers don't seem to be answered. Um, you know, one theologian said that in the Gospels, in the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was approached 183 times um, from, by somebody with a question, and he only answered directly three times out of 183. And so, you know, <clears throat> sometimes he would tell them a story, give them a direction in another way, uh, but, uh, but I think what we can learn from that is oftentimes the direct answer that we want from God isn't, isn't what we need. And that, you know, sometimes what feels like abandonment from God is actually a form of empowerment as we go through the process of, of seeking him and, and um, just pleading with him and drawing closer to him in, in those times. You know, and then oftentimes when we ask God for something and we don't get it, we immediately jump to this conclusion, oh, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for me. And that may be the case, but I think sometimes we jump too quickly to that point um, because in the scriptures, it tells us that there's some things that, that can keep us, that can keep our prayers from being answered. A couple of hindrances. Let's look at those briefly. Uh, the first one is this. Um, it's our, 
unconfessed sin. If we're living a, a, a lifestyle of sin in an unrepentant way where you have not repented of that, that, that is a problem, and it will affect our prayers. Look at Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Spells it out pretty plain and simple there. It should be obvious to us. If we're living in direct opposition to God, yet we're asking him to to do things, to to change circumstances in our lives, um, there's this barrier uh, that will come in between us and him. So I want you to just... Uh, really challenge yourself this week as, as you think about, see if there's any sin in your life, and maybe if you're feeling this way, and ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Another hindrance is, is just selfish motives. Selfish motives. James 4.3 says, says this. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So, you know, some prayers, they, they sound really good in our heads. They, they may, may even sound really good when we speak them out loud, but they have all the wrong motives. And, and that's, that's another hindrance to our prayers um, that can keep God from answering because when we ask in a selfish way, in a selfish manner, um, God most often will not, not answer those. So that, that, that's kind of a high level, a lot of different verses on prayer. Um, I want to spend this next few minutes, I'm going to have Mike Ellis come up and, and talk for a little bit some of the practical aspects of prayer before we go into our fasting discussion um, to close us out today. But... I know many of you know Mike. Uh, he's our prayer coordinator here at Fellowship of Grace. And um, I, I know, uh, as I mentioned in the early service, I know he wouldn't consider himself an expert on prayer or fasting, but, but getting to know him over this last year, year and a half, um, I, I, I know he has a lot of wisdom in this area, studied these things, and has put them into practice. So I wanted to, to have him come and share a little bit with us today. Um, so starting with prayer, as we've talked over the last few minutes, um, prayer can be, be difficult sometimes, it can be difficult to know where to go um, or where to start. Um, so what would be some maybe practical steps that you would have uh, for somebody, whether they're in here looking for a next step of, you know, my prayer life stinks right now. Uh, what do I do? Like, what, what could I do that, to practically improve that? Maybe share a couple of those ideas with us. Okay, because uh, all of us are on that spiritual journey and we're growing. We, we never arrive until we meet Christ in, in heaven. But uh, when we think about uh, prayer, how do we get started praying? And, and maybe you're thinking, okay, if I'm going to establish a time of prayer every day, uh, how am I going to fill five minutes uh, praying and uh, talking to God? And here's four practical things to be thinking of. One is a, a, a little word, ACTS, A-C-T-S, is a great acronym uh, for prayer. ACTS, uh, the letters A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. So you can think about uh, praying to God, talking about uh, adoring God, praising him for who he is, for what he's done, his creation, uh, his word that we study, uh, his presence in our lives. And then confession, uh, as, as we talked about in the aspect of prayer, uh, asking God to forgive us for our, our sins, where we have missed the mark. And thanksgiving, we need to be thankful to God and, and uh, uh, think about things that he has done, the answers to prayer as you begin this prayer journey. Um, someone suggested long ago that uh, we ought to think of something new to thank God for every time we pray, and that's a challenge. And then finally, supplication, a, a word that we don't use in everyday talk, but it means to earnestly and, and uh, humbly uh, ask for something, to seek something. So uh, asking God for uh, needs of others and ourselves and, and really focusing on spiritual rather than just the, the earthly uh, the things that we look at. 
Uh, so ACTS, uh, A-C-T-S, is a good model for prayer. The uh, second thing is uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus' model prayer to us, he gave his disciples an example of how to pray. And he uh, actually uses those four different uh, aspects, A-C-T-S, in his prayer. Then there's all kinds of books and, and prayer guides out there available uh, that you can look for help and, and uh, direction about prayer, and, and especially focus on, on the Bible. What does the Bible say about prayer? Uh, there's such a wealth of information there about the Bible, uh, in the Bible about prayer. Uh, and then uh, thinking of guides, uh, this past week, uh, last Sunday, there was in the bulletin a, a guide for the North American Missions Offering, the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering for North American Missions. And, uh, for eight days, there's a, uh, you can pray for a different missionary each day and their needs and, and how does that, uh, how's God at work in, in North America. Uh, and finally, a shameless plug for the uh, prayer team here at Fellowship of Grace. Uh, you can sign up to be on the prayer team, and every week you'll get uh, a, a, an email in the city about the prayer requests that are submitted on the connection card that those that are not uh, just uh, uh, requested to go to the pastors, but we can pray for the needs of, of those in our community of faith here. So uh, as you begin the prayer journey, you may be thinking that it's hard to know what to pray for, but I think soon as you begin practicing some of those things about prayer, you find that it's easy to spend uh, not just five minutes, but 15, 20 minutes and longer with God. Uh, that's so, so true, and I, I would kind of echo what he said and encourage you, even, even when you think about the Bible and praying the Bible, just go through the Psalms um, right in the middle of your Bible. Um, and just kind of read through those and kind of make them your own. Uh, there, there's all sorts of different things in there. It's just another practical example of, of using that as a prayer guide. Um, so thank you for, for sharing those with us. I want to switch kind of the conversation to the discipline of fasting as we um, spend these last few minutes talking about this. And as I mentioned before, fasting, it's one of those things we don't talk about a lot today. Um, so maybe just start off by kind of introducing us to the topic, maybe define what it is for us. Well, uh, something that uh, read recently in a book about spiritual disciplines that was really interesting, uh, he asked the question, what do you think about, uh, or what kind of people do you think of uh, that for fasting? Or what do people who fast look like? Is it uh, the uh, John the Baptist types? Is it uh, uh, legalists or health nuts? Uh, uh, do you think of Jesus when you think about fasting? Because in the, as we read in the Gospels, Jesus certainly uh, encouraged his disciples and followers to fast. He practiced fasting himself. So uh, this season of the year is a time when fasting is occurring, and we don't even think about it. You may have friends or coworkers who've said uh, you've heard them talk about uh, giving up something for Lent, or perhaps you've practiced that yourself. And it's uh, a practice of giving up something important to you uh, during the 40 days leading up to Easter to prepare yourself spiritually for the, the true meaning of Easter, the resurrection of Christ. So there are uh, fasting is out there. We just don't think of it as, as fasting. Yeah, so. Very true. So what is the Bible? You know, that's what we're always going to try to anchor ourselves to when we talk about these disciplines. What does the, the Bible specifically say um, about fasting? The, the Bible has a, a lot to say about fasting. And interestingly, as, as is often the case, uh, somebody has taken the time to count how many times the Bible talks about fasting. And they say that uh, about 77 times uh, there are re uh, references to fasting in the Bible. And we can compare that to something that we're real familiar with. Uh, baptism is 75 times. So fasting is important uh, in the Bible and certainly a lot of teaching about it. But uh, to look at a couple of scriptures, uh, things that Jesus said about fasting, in Matthew 6, 16 to 18, 
uh, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples, and he says that, and, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus clearly expected his followers to fast. And it's interesting, in this passage, the, the verses uh, prior to these, uh, he talks about prayer and giving to the needy. And uh, in both cases, he says, when you pray and when you give to the needy or to the poor, uh, do we doubt that Jesus expects us to pray or give to those in need? No. So perhaps uh, we should investigate fasting more uh, intentionally because he says, when you fast. Another time, uh, Jesus was asked in Matthew uh, 9, read a story, he's uh, just uh, having the banquet with Matthew, having called Matthew to be his disciple. And some of the, as we read in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus was pointing out that fasting is, is valuable, is important, but his disciples could uh, celebrate with him as if he were the bridegroom at the wedding. And as long as he was here on earth during his earthly ministry, uh, it wasn't the time for fasting, he said, but the time would come when his disciples should fast. So it's, it's clear also that Jesus practiced fasting himself when we read the account of his 40 days of of preparation in the desert uh, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 uh, where he fasted for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. Um, and two, when we think about what the Bible has to say about fasting, it's important uh, in that uh, Matthew uh, 6, uh, the verses what we read, Jesus made it clear that fasting is not about uh, uh, getting the attention of others for our spiritual maturity. Uh, it's to be a private fast between us and God. And kind of to, to piggyback on that, so when we think about the purpose of fasting, obviously it's not to show how, how great we are. What, what, are, what does the Bible say for specific purposes for a fast? There's a, a good biblical definition of fasting that uh, you can find in a book entitled Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And uh, Whitney says, fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So it's... A Christian, uh, because the motive is to be God-centered, it's not just uh, worldly or for other purposes, and it's voluntary, not coerced or mandatory, it's not mandated to us, and it's for spiritual purposes, not just a crash diet for the, for the body. Uh, a wider definition of fasting would include not only abstaining from food and or drink, but abstaining from anything which would normally be appropriate for us and to fast from that thing for a specific spiritual purpose. Uh, just yesterday in talking with a, a friend about uh, this topic of fasting, his church recently uh, did a church-wide fast, and one of the, the uh, aspects that they talked about was a glass fast. And uh, when you think about glass, cell phones, laptops, tablets, uh, television, uh, some of those uh, media, the technology that we look at. That, so there are other things that we might, it might be appropriate for us to fast from uh, to focus our attention on spiritual things. So Whitney also gives us seven, uh, a number of purposes from the Bible and Scripture to back these up, but just seven things that, that you could uh, reference as, as purposes for fasting would be to strengthen our prayer life, 
seek God's guidance, humble ourselves before God, express repentance for our sin and a commitment to return to God, uh, express concern for the work of God in the world, even as we pray for our mission team, uh, to overcome temptation and dedicate ourselves to God, and to express love and worship and adoration of God. So are there, are there any other examples from Scripture? Um, you talked about Jesus being in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights. Um, going to, are there any other examples that we could learn from? Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, 77 uh, different places that the yeah. uh, uh, Bible talks about fasting. But some other examples uh, that uh, we recently have studied here in the, going through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, uh, about uh, Paul and Barnabas, or Saul as he was called at this point, uh, reading that, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So in the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas had spent uh, quite some time there teaching and equipping uh, the new believers and, and growing the church. And the church got together, prayed, fasted, sought God's direction, and they sent uh, Paul and Barnabas off on their first missionary journey. Much as, as we did just last Sunday as uh, Michael gathered the, the mission team for the Philippines uh, here at the front and we gathered and laid hands on them and, and prayed for them as we commissioned them and, and sent them off. Um, later in that first missionary journey, uh, we read about Paul and Barnabas uh, praying and fasting uh, uh, in uh, Acts fourteen twenty three. They... Uh, uh, went back to the churches that they had planted, and it said, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, so they went back to each church that they had planted, and as they went backtracked on their missionary journey, uh, prayed and fasted in those churches to appoint leaders who would carry on the work after they left. Uh, the Old Testament has numerous examples of fasting, and, and just uh, three uh, or quick ones. Uh, Esther, in the story of Esther, we read about her uh, requesting her fellow Jews to fast from food and drink for three days while she prepared for an audience to, uh, with the king to plead for her people's lives. Uh, Moses and Elijah each uh, fasted for 40 days, and we read about that in Deuteronomy and in 1 Kings. And then the entire city of Nineveh, after Jonah preached, fasted. Uh, the king commanded even the animals to fast from food and water in repentance uh, for, um, uh, as uh, Jonah had uh, preached about God's judgment that was coming. So I guess when we forget to feed our animals, we can just blame it on making them fast or something. Uh, well, well, I think that gives us a good, good ex kind of a good foundation uh, from the Bible of uh, the topic of fasting. Uh, maybe speak for a moment just to your experience. I, I know this is, uh, the, fasting isn't something you've just studied and learned about, but you've actually put into practice. So, so share a little bit about your, your experience with this discipline. Um, the first experience I had, uh, and I don't even know how many years ago it was, but uh, hearing uh, uh, on the radio a Christian program encouraging Christians to fast in preparation for Easter for 40 days, and, and I chose to fast from lunches, and, and uh, during the work week would, uh, just during that half hour lunch break, would go out to my car and pray for God's work in the world. Uh, then uh, about 10 years ago, my younger brother invited me to join him for a two-day prayer and fasting retreat, a spiritual retreat, and, and uh, was uh, a great experience of encountering God, and and we drank water and juice for the two days and, and spent the time in prayer and Bible study and just solitude and reflection. And, uh, and during that retreat, then I felt God leading me to start fasting one day a week for, uh, to pray for the spiritual needs of my daughter and son-in-law and, and, and their life in that time. And, 
And uh, so I began that day of uh, fasting each week where I'd, after supper one evening, uh, wouldn't eat until the next uh, supper, next day supper, and take my lunch break at, at work and uh, go find a conference room or a quiet place and spend that half hour just praying for my, my daughter and son-in-law. And, and that uh, eventually then uh, uh, led to uh, greater expanding that prayer for my kids and, and grandkids. But uh, since that first two-day fast that my brother and I did, I've had the opportunity to do four, uh, two- or three-day fast and, and just uh, have encountered God in some neat ways. Very cool. Um, why don't you just take a moment and through those experiences, both uh, the weekly fast and maybe some of your weekend things, what, how have you benefited spiritually from those? What are some, some of the outcomes that you can see looking back? Um, in... Uh, you know, the retreats have been a really a special time of, of reconnecting, rededicating uh, my life to God. And uh, there's often been some specific sense of God's guidance about a, a topic, an issue, uh, or an event in my life. Uh, once on a Friday afternoon at work, uh, before leaving from work for a weekend retreat that I had already scheduled and planned going to a retreat center, I was called into a conference room and told that my job of 27 years was being eliminated and I could either, either take a, a lesser job and lesser pay or go leave the company and find something else. So, boy, was God's timing uh, perfect uh, at that time. And that weekend was a, a, a time that I needed to spend with God and find some direction. But I came away from that weekend retreat with a, a great piece about... Uh, taking the job that was offered and that God would take care of me and, and had me where he wanted me to be. As I've prayed and fasted weekly for my children, I saw God do some major spiritually, spiritual awakening in, in the lives of my uh, daughter and son-in-law. And, and that weekly time gradually developed to pray for my two daughters and my sons and two sons-in-law and, and, uh, and grandchildren as, as time has gone on. Uh, not that I have arrived spiritually, as Paul says in Philippians 3, but, but it's been a growing process. Very cool. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And um, I guess just a couple more questions. One, um, do you, obviously from what you've shared from Scripture and, and from your experience, um, I think we can agree that fasting still has some relevance for us today. Um, but what, I guess, the question I have basically, can we follow Jesus without fasting? If, if we have never fasted before in our Christian walk, have we been a bad Christian? Or, or you know, is this only for the super Christians, which don't, you know, don't really exist, but um, or is this only for the spiritually mature, or can it, is it for everybody? Well, yes, we can and certainly do uh, follow Jesus without fasting, but the question is how much are we missing out on in our spiritual lives, or how much do we suffer from a lack of spiritual power because of, of not utilizing that, uh, that opportunity for spiritual growth, uh, because we don't submit ourselves to learning that discipline. So our walk with Christ as Savior and Lord is so dependent upon our surrender of self. And fasting is a biblical discipline to teach us how to surrender self, to surrender those earthly desires and, and needs and, and wants, uh, uh, to surrender those to God. So it, it also helps us to see the worldly things that are temporary and, and uh, in contrast to the eternal things that uh, God has uh, of greater significance for us in his eternal plan. Yeah, so maybe even today... In our culture today, as we talked about the noise and just the, the consumeristic kind of culture that we live in, fasting, I, I, I think from what you're saying, almost could have a more profound effect as it really goes counterculture to, to what we're seeing. And even some of, some of that consumerism has seeped into the church and just our idea about Christianity. Doing something like fasting where we get to really put into practice this idea of denying ourselves. 
um, is something we can definitely learn from. So, well, thank you very much for for sharing a little bit about that. Hopefully that was encouraging to you. And, and I think as we wrap up, what, what are, just like you shared with the prayer, idea of prayer, what, what would be some next steps and maybe speak to very quickly to what we're going to try to do with our community groups uh, this week? Yeah, this week in the community groups, as we talk about the, the message today, prayer and fasting, we're going to encourage community groups to, to plan and carry out a, a fast with your group, uh, some type of spiritual fasting. And it might be from food or, or, or for medical reasons, you may need to fast from something else, uh, maybe that glass fast. Um, but it'll be a, a fast of you know, maybe one day or, or one meal, but something where you undertake to do together together. Uh, uh, doing it together will provide the opportunity to encourage each other, uh, perhaps to uh, pray together or uh, meet together and, and pray or, or text each other uh, uh, as you pray together during that day, unless you're on the glass fast. Uh, but to do something uh, that's, that's practical and, and puts it into, into action. And we want two major uh, uh, focus uh, to be, uh, two, part, two things to be a major focus of, of that prayer and fasting this week. Our mission team uh, in the Philippines and the work that they're doing there and God's work and then the preparations for the Easter services next Sunday here at Fellowship of Grace. Uh, in both situations there's great needs, multitudes of unreached or unchurched uh, people that uh, have the potential of hearing the message of, of the gospel and God's love for them and we want to pray and focus upon that. Very good and, and I would encourage really anybody even if you're not in the community group um, if you want to participate in that uh, with our church this week, feel free to do that. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to come see uh, Mike or myself or any of our other leaders to get get, get more instruction in that. Um, but uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and just uh, close us, kind of even kick off this week of, of prayer and fasting as we um, really explore these disciplines in, in a greater way as we approach Easter. Eternal God, we praise you and, and thank you so much for the the opportunity you've given us to communicate with you through prayer. And Father, we thank you for your word that tells us uh, how you desire us to live. And, and we ask for wisdom and discernment to apply the teachings of your word to our own lives, to grow in, in that relationship with you, to understand more of what you are asking us to do, how you want us to live. And Father, we do pray for our mission team in the Philippines. And we pray for the preparations for worship here next Sunday on Easter Sunday, uh, that many would come and unexpectedly encounter you and transform their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name.